Okay, so today we're going to study the third Sicha in Parsha Vayera in volume 15 of Lakute Sicha. It's actually page 122. Now this is actually a fascinating Sicha because what the Rebbe does here is he quotes uh, Gemara, Talmud, on this week's Parsha. And then he brings a medrash that adds, adds more details to that Gemara. And then he asks almost like, you know, uh, like a bomb question on this medrash and Talmud. And then in order to appreciate, to understand this answer, he goes through a lengthy discussion by exp- helping to understand this the answer, he goes into a, a question on a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, in the Ethics of Our Fathers. And by understanding that Mishnah, we get to understand another story in another Talmud and a Hasidic story about that happened with a Hasid and the, one of the Rebbes. And with this, we get to understand this stories, kind of a story really that the Talmud says on a verse, on today's verse. So it's interesting how he goes through this narrative with stories and explaining this depth and it's actually amazing sicha because it talks about the power and the importance of the effect that we could all have on other people and on Gentiles as you're going to see the way we're going to learn it. So he begins like this. On a verse in today's Parsha on chapter 21 verse 33 it says there that Abraham Vayikra Shame b'shem Hashem kel elam, and the literal way of translating the verses that Abraham called out the name of God, the God of the universe. So vayikra means and you call out. That's normally the way vayikra means, but the Talmud comes in the tractate of Sota and says that you could read the word vayikra in two ways. You could read, read, Vayikra could mean, and you call out, or it can mean, and you make somebody else call out. So you could read the word Vayikra or Vayakri. Remember, when you don't have vowels, but the Torah doesn't have vowels, that opens up to more ways of pronunciation of a word. So here the Talmud says, don't read the word. And Abraham, and he called out God's name, read it differently. You should read it, that he made other people call out God's name. Not just that he called out. So expand the word and the meaning of the verse. Not just that it's a great thing. Wow, Abraham called out God's name. What it really means, don't read it just like that. Read it that he made other people call out God's name. Who did he make? Who's these other people that he got to call out God's name, to recognize God and call out God's name? So it says, Call whoever walked by his tent where he lived, he would invite people all the time into his hotel or motel, whatever, right? He couldn't his A shell. And a, and they, we call the A shell is called the place where you were able, it was like a bread and breakfast. You got to lodge there and to eat their food and drink. So anybody that came into his place, call Eivin Vashav, whoever walked by his place, he got them to call out God's name. Not just that he called out, but he got them to call out. That's 
the novelty of this, this depth of what the Talmud's teaching us. Don't read it, Vayikra, but read it, Vayakri. Don't read it that he called out, read it that he got others. Who's the others? Everybody that passed by. How did he do this? How did he get other people to call out God's name? Imagine you stand out on the street of your house and you're going to tell people, hey, say Baruch Hashem. Well, you know, how are you going to do that? How did he do it? So after he would serve people food and drink, they would get up and they would say they want to bless the host for this beautiful meal. He would tell them, what do you think? You're eating my food. You think this is mine? It's God's food who you're eating. So don't thank me, the host. You should be thanking the God of the universe for the food that you're eating. So then they would say, okay, we're going to praise and bless the one who said that there should be a world. They admitted, they, they, they agreed, and they praised, and they blessed who said that there should be a world. So they blessed God. So that's what the Talmud says, what happened here. And when the verse in today's parasha says, and he, and he called out, he got others to call out because he convinced them, don't bench me, bless Hashem. Now, the Medrash, who gives us a little more depth, the Medrash goes and adds a bit more, to a little, a little more details, which makes it even more fascinating. And the Medrash says that there were people that didn't want to bless God. They didn't know about God. Remember, Abraham lived in a time of a pagan world, right? All the idols worships were going on then. So there were many people that did not want to bless God. And he brings down on the bottom that there was actually, uh, all the people didn't want to bless God. In any case, they didn't want to bless and recognize to he who said that there should be a world. So Abraham said, Avram said to them, here, 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 listen to the deal here. If you don't want to bless God, I want you to pay me for the food. Now, pay me for the food. Avram would say to them, listen, if you go into your regular local store and you buy a loaf of bread, how much does it cost? $3? We're in the desert. You can't get bread here. You know what a loaf of bread costs here? For example, you know, $25, right? A cup of water. Right? You all know what you pay for a bottle of water in your local store and what you pay in the airport. It could be two or three times the amount. So imagine you're in a desert. He tells them, guys, you're going to have to pay much more. So in other words, he basically explained this to them that they're going to have to pay for it and because you don't find food easily in a desert. When the people heard this, they said, oh, okay, 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 okay. That's too expensive. We're not interested in paying that amount. We will bless God, no problem. Baruch, Kale, Elam, blessed be the God of the universe that we ate from his food. So they would, they would now, they would kind of be coerced, they would be forced to bless Hashem because he said to them, he, he would push them. If not, you have to pay. Comes out from this, that the fact that they would agree and bless God of the world, it was basically, they had no choice. It was an order that they shouldn't have to pay for the food. But it really, if you think about it, it wasn't because they actually agreed in their hearts that they're going to, you know, that they're recognizing and they want to bless God. Because they did it only out of force. 
So the Rebbe asks a question. We have to understand. It's understood if Avraham would affect them, that they should, you know, he would move them to the point that they should bless God from their own will. It's understood that that's an amazing thing. Avraham got them to bless God. But these people, he forced them into blessing God. What's the point to force somebody to bless God? They're only going to do it once because they're under the gun of paying this bill. What's the point? To get somebody to verbally say, I bless God, they may have not even meant it. How could we say that with this, Abraham spread the greatness of God's name across the world? They have, perhaps, most likely, they were even missing the understanding and the recognizing of the creator of the world. They only repeated the word because he pushed them into it. Now, so that's the Rebbe's question. What's so great about this that Abraham got them to do it? And we're saying that, oh, he spread God's name around the world. I mean, come on. He got these people to do it by force. And it's a one-time thing and goodbye. They, they're not going to do this again. Now, the Rebbe now goes a little bit deeper into the question. He, he breaks up the question and he says like this. When you're talking about a Jew, that's a whole different story. If you convince a Jew to do a mitzvah, that's a different story. Very simply, why? Because the Rambam, in his section of laws, where he, in, in the laws of the end of chapter two of the laws of divorce, it's a famous, famous Rambam. It's quoted in many secular courts too, when they try to force a Jew to give a get, a divorce. What happens if you have a Jew and it happens time to time, you hear these stories. The law of the Torah is that the man has to, he's the one who took the woman to be his wife. So he has to release her from being his wife. So he has to give the get. Now, what happens if he doesn't want to give the get? For whatever reason, he wants to torture her, whatever his reason, doesn't want to let her go. So what do you do? You go to the courts and the Jewish courts, you go to the Beth Din and the Beth Din says, you must give a, a get. Enough is enough. What if he still doesn't want to do it? So what we do is, the Rambam says, that the courts are allowed to pull out the bats and the sticks and they're allowed to hit him and force him, beat him, till he's going to say the words, I want to give her the get. And if he says those words out of his mouth, that, I want to do it, and he hands it over to her. Imagine that, he's being beat up in the corner. But if he could get those words out, if we could get him to say those words, I want to do this willingly, I want to do this, and he hands it over, it's a kosher transfer of a get. And the Rambam says, what do you, what, what, what's the logic behind this? It says that you have to do it willingly. Is this called willingly? When you beat him to the, to, to the point that he, he's forced to do this? Says the Rambam that the truth is that every Jew has inside them this desire to do what Hashem wants them to do. The problem is we have an evil inclination. We have the Yetzer Hara. And it's only the Yitzray, your Yetzer, that has overcome you to the point to say, to convince you not to do it. But really, really, really inside, you really want to do what's right. Therefore, if you could say those words, I want to do this, then the external message and feelings that you have that you don't want to do it, we don't pay attention to that. 
Because we believe, says the Rambam, that deep inside, you really want to do this. So when it's a Jew and you force him to do a mitzvah, it counts full, it's full points. Because look from the Rambam point there, that every Jew deep inside really wants to bond with Hashem. It's just that there are side things that are distracting him. But when it comes to a non-Jew, as the, as the Talmud puts it, call Eiver Vashav, every single person that just passed by and wanted to take a seat and eat, those were the people that Abraham got them to call out to God. And according to the Medrash, by forcing them to do this, because if not, they're going to have to pay for it. What's the point to get them to do it? The non-Jew doesn't have a natural instinct inside them that they want to bless God. It has to be developed, maybe. But you have, what are you going to gain by forcing them to do it? So what is so great about this idea that Avraham forced people to recognize and bless God? So that's our question here. In section two, the Rebbe brings down a commentary on the Medrash called the Yefetayah. And over there, he says a very interesting thing. He says that what happened here is Avraham dealing with his guest and getting them to do it. He said, basically, what really happened is, is that Avraham knew that he has an obligation from God to be able to get people to call out God's name. So Avraham, maybe even reluctantly, just wanted to fulfill his obligation and therefore he would convince people to call out God's name because he wanted, you know, to, so to speak, have it on his checklist, you know, that he did it. And he got people to call out God's name and he would, he would basically trick them into it to, 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 to praise God. That's what that commentary says of what happened here. That Avraham did it because he just wanted to do his obligation and to be, you know, so to speak, fulfill your checklist and that's it. He didn't care if the people meant it or not. So the Rebbe says, what's going on over here? What, did you, what do you gain by tricking somebody into saying something if they don't really mean it? What would be the gain that Avram did it because he, he wants to have this done? Just, just to get it done. But he really tricked the people to do it. What's the gain of this? And number two, and the main point of the problem with this interpretation of this whole story that Avram just did it and didn't care to trick these people. He just wanted to get do his obligation in getting people to say these words. It is very difficult to say that Avram did it only because he had his own obligation to get people to do this and it's possible that he even got people to be tricked. You know why you can't, it's difficult to say this? Because there's another medrash somewhere else that says that Abraham, because he got people to bless God, Hashem said about Avram, that's what this medrash says, Hashem said that Avram, I consider you as a partner with me in the creation of the world. My name, when I created the whole world, was never really known around the world. But thanks to you, that you get people to do this, now my name is known, and therefore you're like a partner with me in the whole purpose of the whole creation. Well, if you're going to say that Avram is a partner, you can't say that he did it, you know, just, you know, to, to make a checklist that he, you know, he did his part. If you're doing something as a partner, he clearly was fully invested in this. 
And we don't see anywhere that some people, he tricked them in, some people he got it by force, many people he did it, he got them to do it willingly. It seems like everybody, he got, everybody did it out of force. But when you say that he did this, Hashem says it as a partner, well, then you're going to have to say that he got people to do it willingly without pressure. So was this done out of pressure? Or was this done willingly? So we're back to our question, basically. What was the gain in convincing people, not convincing them, in getting them to do it by force? If not, you're going to have to pay for your meal. Okay, they said, sure, 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 sure. Blessed be the one who created the world. But what's the gain out of that? So to understand this, we will first need to understand what what does it mean that by getting somebody to do to do what Hashem wants you to do, that could happen only when you weaken their evil inclination. In other words, not just not just will you get a person to say, "I want to do it," but you'll actually break their inclination. That it's not just externally that they say, "I want to do it," but it really means that you're revealing something that's deep inside their hearts. In other words, sometimes somebody says externally something, but that's not really what they mean inside. And by doing something to them, you could reveal their true essence inside, and that could change the way they're talking and behaving on the outside. For example, he brings now the story in the Chumash, we have the famous story with the spies. Remember the story that Moshe sent the 12 spies to check out the land of Israel, right? 10 of them came back with a bad report. And you know what they said? They said these words. They said, Ki chazak hu mimenu. Those people in the living in the land of Canaan, they are stronger than he. The Talmud says, when they said those words, he, they didn't mean, as we can, may think, that the spies came back and said that they're stronger than all you Jews. That the Goyim, live, the Canaanite people, are stronger than you, you'll never be able to take over the land. They meant it even worse. When it says that they are stronger than he, they meant to say that the people in Canaan are stronger than God. That's how bad it is. That's how the conclusion that they came to. They said, They are stronger than he, meaning of even of God. So even with God's help, you won't be able to take over the land of Israel. And it came, and the nation started to cry. All the rest of the Jews heard this, this, this report. They started to cry. And they started to say, let's go back to Egypt. There's no way we can do this. This is the report that came back. And then what happened in that story? Moshe came and he hit them with hard words. Moshe came out and spoke very harsh to the Jews. And this made them mourn. They felt so much remorse for speaking like this, to say those kind of words, that we'll never be able to take over Canaan because the people there are stronger than, than even of God. Moshe spoke so hard to them. That's the words we have in the Torah. He spoke, he, he hit them with words, and that, which is the expression that he spoke super harsh to them. 
And you know what happened after Moshe's harsh words? They said, you know what? We, did, we said the wrong thing. We're going up with you, Moshe. We're doing what God said. We're going to, we're going to go to the land of Canaan. What do you see what happened there? Moshe, what did he gain by talking harsh and beating them with words? He got them to stop on the external side of them speaking this kind of false, ridiculous words. And he got them to reveal their true essence of their faith in Hashem. And now they said, let's go, to, let's go into the land. So here, that's one example, that story, where you see that through doing something, you could weaken the evil inclination that's inside. Moshe did it by talking and hitting them harsh, you know, giving them harsh words. With this, we're going to understand also a Mishnah. Again, we mentioned from the Pirkei Avos, in Ethics of Our Father, in Chapter 6, Mishnah 2. Over there, the Mishnah has a very interesting uh, saying. It says like this. Every day, there's a basko. Basko means like, like a heavenly voice. Okay, Every day, says the Mishnah, there's a heavenly voice that comes out into the world. Comes from a place called Har Chorev. Comes from this the Mount to Sinai. Some say that that's what it refers to. Comes out of Mount Chorev, and it declares and makes its announcement. This heavenly voice makes an announcement, and it says how bad it is, and like so to speak, how shameful it is for those creations, for those people that are that are that are briyas, that are creations of God. It's it's shameful. It's 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 uh, sad for those people, and for the pe- for those people who embarrass the Torah. That's what this heavenly voice says. That it's it's sad. It's it's shameful. It's terrible to those creations. Those people that are called Briyas, their creations. For embarrassing the Torah. And whoever doesn't study, occupy yourself in the study of Torah, you're called a censured. It's big time shameful for such a person. So that's what this heavenly voice comes out and says. What's the point of this heavenly voice? It's to awaken a person. That you should start to toil and study Torah. That's the idea of this heavenly voice. It comes to you, it talks to you. Maybe your soul can hear it, maybe you can't hear it. But the idea of this heavenly voice, this baskal, is to awaken you to start getting involved in Torah. Says the Rebbe, what's the point of this heavenly voice that's coming out and speaking so negative to you? If you're trying to awaken a person who doesn't study Torah, what should you do to him? Say, oh, it's terrible what you're doing that you don't pay attention to study Torah. Is that going to awaken a person? If you want to awaken a person to study Torah, a person who's lacking in studying of Torah, you should talk to them about the beauty, the greatness of Torah. Tell them something about how beautiful the Torah is, how amazing it is. And talk to, tell them something amazing. Why does the Mishnah go and tell you that the heavenly voice says something harsh if you don't study the Torah? 
especially that this heavenly voice is talking to what kind of person? What was the title that we said that it's talking to? Who's it talking to? So we said it's talking to somebody that's called a creation of God. It didn't say it's talking to the yeshiva student. It doesn't say it's talking to, you know, somebody that, that goes to shul every day. It doesn't say, it doesn't give you anything. It just tells you somebody that's a creation of God. Now, it's interesting. In chapter 32 in the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe describes what does it mean, the word briyais, that you're a creation of God. The Alter Rebbe says there that he talks to you about Avas Yisrael, about loving your fellow person. He says, sometimes a person has no good quality in them. Nothing. You look up and down their records, they don't do any mitzvahs, they don't study any Torah. Nothing. There's nothing about this person that you could say that's so beautiful about the person. But you're still supposed to love that person. Why? So the Rebbe says there, because there is one quality that this person has, and every person has this quality, and that is that you're a creation of God. You know, as we always say to each other as friends, we say, you know, the fact that God took the time to put you in this world, that there must be a purpose for that, you know. But that may be your only quality, is that you're created from God. So when it says here in the Mishnah that the heavenly voice comes out and is giving this rebuke speech, to who is this giving? It says it's giving it to the person who has only one quality. And that is that you're a human being. You're a creation of God. Nothing else about you. And what is the heavenly voice saying to such a person? That even such a person, you have to start to toil in studying of the Torah. Well, if that's the case, shouldn't the heavenly voice try to awaken the person to start studying Torah by telling them something beauty about the Torah? Why should this person get motivated all of a sudden to start studying Torah? Because you say, ah, it's embarrassing what you're doing. But I don't know anything about better. We're talking about a person that doesn't know anything better, was never exposed to Yiddish guides, never exposed to the Torah, never had a bar mitzvah, nothing. So we're talking to such a person, well, shouldn't we say something more motivational, something great about the Torah? The answer is that since every Jew has a godly soul, right? We spoke about this many times. And as we said before from the Rambam, that every Jew really deep inside wants to do all the mitzvahs because you have a godly soul. And that means that you have this, so to speak, this hidden treasure in you. What's the hidden treasure? As it springs down in the Tanya, you have every Jew has a natural faith in God and a love for God. It's amazing when you think about that. When you speak to a person a lot of times after talking to a Jew a long time, you could realize that they do believe. You could realize that they do have a place of love it, you know, something, you know, bothers them about because they love Hashem. So they have this in them. Every Jew has this. So such a, because every Jew has a godly spark inside them, you have this godly soul. We don't need to explain a Jew about the greatness of the Torah. 
We only need to awaken something very deep inside you. And once we could awaken that button, we could touch something really deep in you. And that's what the heavenly voice is trying to do. To touch a deep, deep core in the person. To get them to awaken them. And once I reveal, we could reveal that deeper place inside them, automatically they're going to want to learn Torah. So in other words, if they weren't even in the level of a creation of God, then there would be nothing to reveal. There would be nothing hidden in that treasure box. It would be an empty treasure box. The fact that you have a godly soul, that means you have this treasure in you. And it's all about to reveal that treasure. Because since you're on that level, that you're a creation of God, you're already a somebody. You're already a something. That means all I have to do now is reveal what's inside you. How do, what's the issue? Why does a person, sometimes a person, have no interest to learn or to, to, to do a mitzvah? Why are they not motivated if they're a creation of God and they have a godly soul in them? Because they have a thickness, a materialism that's all around them. Like we once spoke in length about the idea that sometimes ahead you could have your brains in your boots. I'm bringing you down that story. It doesn't bring that here in the Sikha. But that basically the materialism is all around you. All you're thinking about is material, 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 material. So it could be that since this person, he has what he needs inside him, but he's so absorbed in the materialisms all around him. And therefore, the way to take off that shield to uncover and reveal the quality that you're a creation of God. For that, we need to have the heavenly voice. And the heavenly voice comes out and says, oh, it's terrible to be like that. And if you don't study Torah, you're called a Nazuf, which is this, you know, censured kind of person. So that's one point that, we need to understand, and with this we're going to be able to slowly get to our explanation on why the, there's an advantage for Avram to force people to call out God's name. So the first point is this point. Every person, if you look at the story of the Miraglim of the spies, Moshe banged them over the head with these hard words, and that changed their attitude. All of a sudden they said, okay, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. No matter how strong those people are, God is stronger. Well, let's go to Israel. We're not, we don't want to go to Egypt. We're sorry we even ever said that. Then you see from the story in this mission that the heavenly voice comes out. And who's it inspiring? The person who's all he is is a creation of God. But that alone is enough. If we could uncover, pull off what's blockage for him, then we could reveal what's deeper there. But now, says the Rebbe, that really, this is only one level of a person who his only quality is that he's a creation of God. But now we can break that even into two groups. The way to break the person we said is through this heavenly announcement of this heavenly voice. But that is who? Who are you awakening? You're awakening the kind of Jew that is even susceptible to even to listen to something spiritual. That means he's a vessel to even listen. 
that even though his current situation is so bad and he's so absorbed in his materialism, nevertheless, he's able to listen to something spiritual and his soul could talk to him. There's a chance that it will, the message will go in. And true, in a harsh way, and so on. But there's still another level, a lower level. There is a lower level person. And that could be somebody that is stooped so low spiritually that nothing seems to affect the person. Nothing, no matter what we try. You send them a letter, you send them an email, you send them a text message, you send them a, no matter what you try, the heavenly voice could try to talk to him. And somehow nothing could get in. Because for that person, his materialism is so, so strong by him, as the Rebbe brings down in the bottom in a footnote, I guess he didn't want to bring it into the text itself, he quotes it in a footnote from the book of, uh, of Proverbs. It says there, Ner Yerushayim Yidacha. The candle of the Russia was extinguished. Meaning, there could be somebody that could be so low that there's just no spark there to get that going. That means he is so low that even if you try to break him by telling him, hey, you know, you're going to be considered such a terrible person if you don't waken yourself and start to learn Torah. In other words, this person, we have to do something different. In, you know, in the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe says in chapter 29 that sometimes the evil inclination attaches itself so strong to a person and it makes you crazy. It tries to get you to sin. And it comes to you a day and it comes to you again and it comes to you again and it comes to you again. It tries to get you to sin. And sometimes, you know what you have to do to get rid of the evil inclination? You have to scream at your evil inclination. That's what Dr. Rebbe says. You have to tell your evil inclination, and it goes on and on with titles. You have to tell your evil inclination, you're evil, you're, you're a sinner, you're, you're a disgusting creature. You gotta really verbalize those words. I mean, that seems to be the only way. Why? Because you got to break it. You understand? If you talk to yourself, sometimes you have to break the existence of something in order to now build up this vessel into a holy vessel, to be a receptacle, to be able to handle something holy. Let's use our own analogy, okay? Sometimes you're, you're working, let's say, on building a pitcher. You're trying to build this pitcher, and whether it's out of wood or out of glass, and you're trying to make it, and you make it trying like this, and you try like that. No matter what you do, for some reason, it's just not coming out smooth. It's just not. You're trying it a, a bunch of times. You know what? At some point, when nothing is just not going, you break down the glass and you remelt the glass and you start over from scratch again. Sometimes you got to break it down to the bottom in order to build it back up. So sometimes, he says, we now see that there's a kind of person, there's one level of a person that he's at least a creation of Hashem. Let's use an example. A person, his only quality is that he comes to Shul Yom Kippur. Let's maybe, maybe that's his only mitzvah that he can hang on his hook and say, I did this mitzvah, right? I do this. That's beautiful. 
It's a big thing. But there's potential there because the person came. He's open to this, right? But then you have a person that you're going to have to talk to a whole different level. This person, the only way to get to him is by breaking him. And he's going to soon give us now two examples where you're going to see that this person is on such a low level, you can't even get his attention to something meaningful in life, something more spiritual in life. And th- but regarding this second level, says the Rebbe, that if you look in the tractate of Tainus, in the, in the tractate that deals with all the laws about fasting, over there on page 20, side A, there's a mind-boggling story there. This is a, it's a crazy kind of story. But he says, this is what happened. The story goes that, regard, this is regarding the second level person that we just spoken about, that the only way is to break him to start over. Because otherwise he can't hear you. He doesn't hear you. He says, there was a story of Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Reb Shimon. Rabbi Eliezer, the son of Reb Shimon. And it says there, one time he saw a man who looked so ugly. The person just looked, it was just, it was gross. The, guy, the person looked ugly. And he tried to engage in, in a conversation with this person, saying, Shalom Aleichem. Anyway, it goes through the whole details. But what one piece there is, Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Shimon says to the guy, he says, Reika, you empty person, he says to him. Kama mechur, How disgusting looking person are you? Imagine, this is Rebbe Lazarus of Shimon. This is not just, you know, uh, you know, a regular classmate of yours. You know, we're talking about a great, one of the greatest sages. Giant. And the man, now he's hurt. Now he's hurt. Now he's got to talk to the rabbi. You call me an empty disgusting person like like just ug- ugly like I, I'm so ugly he says hey rabbi why don't you go back and ask this question to the craftsman who created me why don't you go talk to God and tell him that question of how disgusting of a gross and, and ugly this vessel is why don't you go do that uh, good, that's a pretty good comeback, huh? So Talmud goes through the conversation and the Rebbe of Shimon uh, asks for forgiveness and the guy doesn't want to forgive him. A whole story. But what's important for our piece here of this story is first of all, the question, the way the Talmud says, like the, the expression, the way the Talmud asks a lot of times a question. May ikra maikasavar. From the beginning, what was this rabbi thinking? Did Rabbi Eliezer not know that this man didn't create his own ugly face? Obviously, Rabbi Eliezer knows that it's the craftsman who creates, who crafts all of us, you know, is responsible for this. Doesn't Rabbi Eliezer know that every human being is created from the image of God, from the, from the, from the, 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 the palm of God? What, what, what was he thinking, this rabbi? And then the second question the rabbi asks is, 
How is it possible Rebbe Lezer should say such a thing? How could he say such a thing to another person? Hey, empty header, how ugly are you? How could he say such a thing to another person? How, how could he really do that? So first of all, does this rabbi really not know better? And secondly, how could he really even say this? How could you call another person to his face? You empty person, how ugly are you? How do you do that? Says the Rebbe, the explanation to this story is as follows. What did Rebbe Lazar mean when he said, you empty person, how ugly you are? What he really meant was, what he really was saying is, he's a spiritual man, Rebbe Lazar. Rebbe Lazar is not talking. He doesn't see the physical ugliness of a person. That's not what he sees. He's talking about the spiritual status of this person. And he says to this person, you're empty. It's ugly. This vessel is ugly. He recognized in this person that this person is so spiritually low that the whole image of this person has no quality to him, no true spiritual quality to him. And even more, the only quality that this person has is what? That he's a creation of God. So really, there's something there your creation of God, your abrias, your person. Even that quality, the one minimal quality that every person, human being has, Rabbi Lazar looks, he says, even that quality you don't have. And Rabbi Lazar sees in this person, he says, I cannot bring this person back to a proper level, to, to even a basic level. That is even the quality that you're a human. I can't affect this person. The only way I can affect this person is if I do something that I could humiliate him, I could break him. And that's why he says to him, emptiness, how ugly are you? He says, with this, I could break his arrogance of feeling so deeply absorbed that his whole life is only this material thing. He doesn't see anything more than that. Now, after he breaks the person, he says those words, you emptiness, how ugly you are. He does get this guy's attention now. Now the guy is totally broken. Now the person musters up his strength And how does he respond? He says, go and say this to the craftsman who who made me. He says, listen, I do recognize that there's a craftsman who made me. I recognize that there's a master to this world. This alone, that he was able to, to recognize that there's a God to this. It's not all about me. It's not all about my, whatever it is of your absorption in the material world. That's, you know, that's your God. That's your, that's your everything. He recognizes that there's really a master to this whole thing. At least he recognizes that, that God is the creator of every creation. And more than that, he calls him not just, he says, the craftsman who creates anything. He says, who created me. Meaning that Hashem takes the time 
In other words, even though I have sinned, and Rebbe Lezer himself realizes, he says, maybe I sinned. And therefore he asks him for forgiveness. But because as soon as this person recognized that there's a creator and he was able to say that, Rebbe Lezer says, okay, now I'm at fault. Now I don't deserve to talk to you like that because I looked at you that you are a completely empty vessel with no value at all. But now I see that you say, you recognize you're saying that there's a craftsman that made you, that made you. That means that you have a purpose in this whole creation. Just like any craftsman that makes any vessel, he only, a craftsman makes it only when there's a purpose. So now that this person recognized that, now, there's a purpose in the whole thing. But again, let's go back to our theme. What did Rebbe Lezer, Rebbe Shimon accomplish here? He broke the person to the point that the person was able now to admit. Till then, the person wasn't even able to say that, to recognize that. But now that he called him with this harshness, emptiness, ugliness, that now brought out the spark that was in. So again, back to our point. Sometimes when you break the other, that, the lowest level of a person, sometimes you have to go that level, to that kind of level of language. And that's how he did it. And now the Rebbe brings another story. That's from the Talmud. Now he brings down a Hasidic story. And he says, with this we can understand a well-known story that Hasidim say regarding the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe Rashab was the fifth of the seven Chabad Rebbes who passed away in 1920 in Rastav, in Russia. And the Rebbe Rashab, so there's a story about him that Hasidim say this story. That they say that this story happened in the beginning of his leadership as Rebbe. That one time a Jew came into Yechidus into a private audience to the Rebbe Rashab, and he asked the Rebbe for a blessing in a very serious matter that he needed a blessing for. He was desperately in need for this. Something was really needed by, for this guy. And he needed a blessing to awaken great mercy from above. That's why he came to the Rebbe Rashab. And you know what the Rebbe Rashab said to him? He said that there's nothing that I could do for you. He said, I can't help you. Imagine that. Obviously, if the guy came to the Rebbe Rashab, he tried everything he could do. Right? I'm sure he davened, he learned, he did everything. But he came to the point he needed the help of the Rebbe to awaken mercy from above. And the Rebbe Rashab tells him, there's nothing I could do. After hearing this response, when the Jew walked out from his Rebbe's room, he broke down in heavy tears and crying. A bitter means bitter sobs. While he was standing outside the Rebbe's room and crying in bitter sobs, just then, the Rebbe Rashab's older brother his name was the Raza, an acronym for Reb Zalman Aaron, was going by and he said to this man, why are you crying? So hysterical crying. What's going on? And the Jew told him what happened. 
and he told him what he asked the Rebbe, and he told him what the Rebbe Rashab responded to him, that he can't help him. The Razah went into his brother's room, who was the Rebbe. He went into his private room, and as we said before, it was in the beginning of the Rebbe's leadership. Though I, 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 it's hard to understand why we need to know this detail that it was the beginning of the leadership, but I'm just assuming that because it was the beginning of the leadership that the Rebbe's brother would have not just walked into his room. So maybe that was you know still fresh. He just became Rebbe not too long before. So he goes into his brother's room and he, sell, and he tells the Rebbe Rashab, is this the custom, the way you do things? Somebody comes to ask you for a bracha and you tell him you can't help him to the point that this person is crying hysterical from great pain. Is this the way you, you respond to somebody? Is this the Seder? Is this the way it works? The Rebbe Rashab put back on his gartel, his, you know, the prayer belt, the sash around and he gave over a message that this Jew should come back into his room a second time. When the Jew came into the Rebbe Rashab for a bracha, the Rebbe Rashab gave him a blessing, and the blessing was fulfilled to the T. Everything this man needed happened with the mercy fulfilled. That's the story. So the Rebbe asks a question on the story. Why did the Rebbe Rashab do this? First he tells him, no, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But after such a heavy, sharp you know, experience that this person was broken, the Rebbe Rashab could have at least, after listening to the guy's problems, he could have at least awakened the person, encouraged him. Okay, let's say the Rebbe Rashab can't give him a bracha for whatever the thing was that he needed. You could at least give him some hope. You know, as, as he quotes here what it says in the Tractate of Brachas. In, in the Tractate of Brachas it says that every Jew is obligated to have faith in God. Never stop asking God for mercy, even if there's a sword on top of your throat. If God forbid this situation is so bad, it's like a sword on your throat, you still are not allowed to give up from asking God for mercy. In other words, as long as you're still alive, you have to still ask God for mercy and have faith that God will give it to you. So at least the Rebbe Rashab could have responded that. Why did the Rebbe Shab initially say, I can't help you, and that was it, and the guy leaves broken, man? Says the Rebbe, we could possibly explain it like this. The Rebbe, the person, sorry, the Jew asked the Rebbe for a bracha, and at that time when he asked for the bracha, for whatever reason, this person's spiritual status level, he was not a vessel to be able to receive the blessing. He just wasn't able to receive it. It wasn't the Rebbe Rashab's problem. He could have gave the guy a bracha, but the guy wasn't a vessel for it. You say, if you want to give somebody a blessing, you want to pour, let's, let's say you want to pour a medicine into a cup, but if there's no cup, 
Or if the cup has a hole, then what, I can't pour it into the cup. So in other words, if the vessel is not ready yet to get it, or let's say even a person that's very sick, you know, if you want to give the guy medicine, if he can't take it, you can't give it to him. So he says, this person seems like what happened here was that he wasn't a vessel yet to receive the blessing. And that's why the Rebbe Shav said, I can't help you. But when the person heard from the Rebbe that he can't help him, this awakened in him such a core inside him that he broke down into terrible tears and he opens his heart to God of being, as we say, you know, he, he became so humble that I, I, I'm, a, I'm a goner. He kind of like, you know, broke down and he just cries to God. That made this person into a new person. Now, he was able to come back because now he's a vessel. So by the Rebbe Hashem telling him, I can't give you a bracha, was true. At the current stage, the guy wasn't ready. But then he went out and he broke. He becomes now like a new person. So by the way, the Rebbe brings in a footnote, a fascinating story, which many of you know. We spoke about this Gemara many times, the, the, of the famous Rebbe Lazar ben Derdaya, the guy who was called the Achar. Anyway, this guy went, he was a, terrible sinner. He was a sage and he, he went off the path till eventually he heard from his masters or the heavenly ver, ver, voice that said that you will never be accepted. Your teshuva, your repentance will never be accepted. And he had nobody, he, you'll have nobody to ask for mercy. You're such a goner. You're such a terrible sinner, says the Gemara, it's a Gemara in, in Avodazara. He was so broken by that that he started to cry and cry and cry till he put his head between his knees and he cried and cried to the, till the point that his soul left his body and he died in that position of repentance. So you see, that's just, he puts in the footnote, just don't forget that story too. Sometimes the only way is to break the person so badly Sometimes it could be that that's the only resolution. So you see that this way of breaking through this kind of rebuking, the intention is not just to reveal the soul that's there inside. But it's talking about a person who could also be so stooped into their material grubness and this is also possible not just by a Jew. This could be also by a non-Jew that can be so stooped in their materialism that they're so carried away that they can't even get awakened unless you break them. As he brought again the story from the Miraglim, the story from the Mishnah, Right? With the Murag with the spies, as we said, the story with the Mishnah with the heavenly voice, the story of the Talmud where Rebbe Lazar Shimon tells the guy that you're so ugly, and the story with the Rebbe Rashab who doesn't give him a bracha first till so he comes back like a new person. He says, This you can find also by the non Jew. Yet the only way to talk to the person is by completely breaking, broken. The only difference is, says the Rebbe, that there's still a difference between a Jew and a non Jew. 
He says like this, very interesting. He says, by a Jew, no matter what situation you're in, you still have a godly soul. You can't take that away. No matter how far a person goes, you don't look like it, you don't live it, everything, right? You still have a godly soul. That's why we say that Al-Tarebbe says in chapter 24 in the Tanya, that even a Jew, while he sins, he wants to be a Jew, and he wants to do all the mitzvahs. In other words, even when he's doing what's wrong, he still really would have rather not do what's wrong. He still has that faith in him. There's something there. There's a godly thing there. Therefore, they're breaking the person by a Jew, really. What is it? It were breaking ultimately something external from him because deep down inside, it's there. In the depth, it's there. Therefore, what are we breaking? We only, we're breaking his external in order to reveal what's there deep inside. How do I deal, reveal what's inside? I have to break the cover. Now I can get that spark out. By the non-Jew, what are we doing? The non-Jew doesn't have the godly soul. What we're breaking there is, what are we accomplishing by breaking? In other words, maybe through crushing or through forcing, as we're going to speak in a minute. What you're doing is, is you're getting the non-Jew to a potential level that this non-Jew could reach every highest spiritual level that he could really or she could really reach to. That's what you're accomplishing. You're, you're getting them to new heights that they never knew that they could get to. And he brings that in the footnote. What is the height of the non-Jew? They become the chaside umas olam. They become through the fulfillment of the seven Noahide laws, which all of mankind was commanded for that, and they could get to become from the righteous of the nations. The, who's the righteous of the nations? Any non-Jew that fulfills the seven Noahide laws, as the Rambam specifies that they have to do it, not just because God told it to Noah, but as God told it, to Moses by the giving of the Torah. Because the soul of such a person who follows the seven Noahide laws, they reach a level called Noiga. Noga, which is a level where the first soul of the Jew comes from. So it's a quite a very high level. So the point is that every human being, the Jew or the non-Jew, sometimes the only way to get them to a higher levels, either through breaking his outside or through revealing his his inside or through bringing them to the potential that was a blockage because there was a blockage. They were so stooped in wherever they were involved in, there was a blockage so they couldn't push further to higher heights. But by doing something to this person, which we're now going to understand and go back to the Medrash. What is this something? Let's go back to the original Medrash. The Medrash said that Avram Avinu, he convinced everybody to do this and he even did it by force. What does it mean he put this pressure by force? That even a Ben Noach, even the non-Jew, has the potential to recognize that there's a creator to this world. There's a boss to this whole world. Or as the Rebbe once said, this world is not a jungle. There's a master to this whole place. 
And that's what Avram was doing. He was busy getting everybody to understand through many kinds of ways to get a person to understand, to pray to God. If he couldn't get them to do that and he saw there was no other hope, he did it by force. By, in other words, convinced If not, you're going to have to pay heavily for this. So in order to break this, he had to put them in an uncomfortable position. In order to get them to at least say, blessed be the God of the world who all our food belongs to him. So what's the lesson takeaway from all of this? The lesson is, as we know, that the, the, uh, whatever our forefathers did is a sign and a strength given to his children. We need to behave like Avram did. We need to spread godliness around the world. And the way Avram did it in a way that is a sign for us, which is don't be satisfied to bring a Jew closer. That's only the, which kind of Jew? The guy that's in your house. No, look what Avram did. He went outside to find guests. Everybody that was passing by, he schlepped them in to do the blessing. And we have to do this effort, make this effort to get every single Jew, even if they're just going to come in and have a lachaim, a drink, eat something. And that may be the only reason, but that may be the way that you'll be able to inspire them to recognize that there's a God. And even if it's going to have to do with pressure, you may have to pressure this person into it. But, of course, obviously you do it the way the Torah says, in a nice way. Don't, you know, pull out your, your bats at the person. Hey, you better say, you know, bless God. Do it nice. And therefore, if somebody comes and says, what are you going to gain out of this? To get this person to do it, you're going to get a person to say a blessing, you're going to, to, to read the Shema, to pray. But the person's going to do it not willingly or, or without a heart. They're, they're not going to be into it. And this person may just put on tefillin just to get rid of you. You're bothering me so many times to come to my office. I'll just put on tefillin and just get out of my office, you know. That may happen too, and it does happen. And what's going to be tomorrow, You may somebody may say, what's the gain out of this? Who knows if this guy will ever put on tefillin again? What we see here in the Torah is, the lesson is, how much more so that if Avram did it in his days, when he was dealing only with the Bnei Noach, and it was before even the giving of the Torah, and how did he do it? He had to find a way how to do it to get them to recognize that there's a creator, how much more so we're living in the world after the giving of the Torah. And we said before from the Rambam that every Jew really truly inside wants to do what's right. And even more, it's possible you'll have to do a pressure and twist their arm to get them to reveal what's there. But we know the rule. Mitzvah, one mitzvah attracts to another mitzvah. There's going to always a reaction. And therefore, eventually the person will do all the mitzvahs. And the, the work is to spread the name of God around the world, to recognize it. And this will be a measure for measure, it will affect the coming of Mashiach when the entire world will be filled with the knowledge of Hashem uh, through the establishing of the King of David, in other words, from the Mashiach, who will help to force and bring back every single Jew to continue into the ways and to the ways of the written Torah, the oral Torah, and this will happen with the ultimate true redemption with the coming of Mashiach. But now... But now that we finished the Sicha, I want to share with you a story of our Rebbe in a similar vein as a little bit of a bonus thing. And I heard the story when I was probably 15, 16 years old, only a few years ago. And I remember I heard it that uh, a guy named Rabbi Blau in New York said the story, and I'll just share it with you shortly. And he said like this, that there was a guy 
a bachar, a yeshiva boy in South Africa that used to go every Shabbos to a non-Chabad shul. And every week he would say over a Dvar Torah. And everybody loved it. They, they couldn't get enough of it. And every week they would, please come back next week, tell us another Dvar Torah. And every week he would come back. They couldn't get enough. Anyways, after doing this for a whole year, and the people, were, they were like just flying high every time he would say over a Dvar Torah. So one week he said, guys, I want to tell you the truth. I know you think it's my Torah thoughts every week. But I want to, it's time for me to tell you the truth. Every week when I say over a Dvar Torah, it's actually a Dvar Torah that the Lubavitcher Rebbe says in New York every Shabbos. He speaks, and I'm only saying over his Dvar Torah. They said, what? We never knew he was such a big Torah scholar. Are you serious? It's all his Torahs. We have a whole different respect for the Rebbe. So this Bachar, this Yeshiva boy said, if you really want to know who the Rebbe is, he says, let me tell you a story. And he told him a story that there was a man who uh, got engaged and a week before the engagement, he met another girl and he got very, very excited and attracted to this other girl. So he told his Kala, his first one, who was supposed to get married next week, he called her up and he said, you know what, I'm calling it off. Nobody could understand what happened. It was dead embarrassing for this girl, Nebach, the whole wedding was called off. A few months later, this guy marries girl number two. No, how's the whole community supposed to think about this? Obviously, there must have been a terrible thing wrong with this girl one. Otherwise, why would he call it off? Nobody knew that this guy, with his eyes, would keep on going to the wrong places and he was floating around. He wasn't focused with his commitment. So Nebach, the girl one, could never find the Shidduch. Every time somebody, the name would come up, the people would say, no, we're not interested in this girl. She had, you know, that was the name. That, that's the girl that they, this guy canceled the wedding right before. Poor girl. Ten years passed. She couldn't find the Shidduch. But during those ten years, the guy who married this other woman, he never was blessed to have kids. After 10 years of marriage, he decided it's time to go see the Rebbe. And he goes into the Rebbe and he says to the Rebbe, it's 10 years that I'm married and we don't have kids. We need a blessing for a child. And the Rebbe looks at him and says, I can't help you. Similar to the story we just said. And the man turns white. He says, what do you mean you can't help me? You're the Rebbe. Why can't you give me a bracha? It says, there's something here that's not letting me give you, I can't give you a bracha. And the guy is pushing and pushing and the Rebbe says to him, is it possible that you one time did something that you hurt somebody else so badly and you never asked for forgiveness for this? He thinks not too long and he says, Rebbe, you're 100% right. He says, 10 years ago, I was supposed to get married to this other woman. And right before the wedding, I called it off. I liked the whatever. And I married this other woman. And I never asked for forgiveness from that girl. How was I able to ask for forgiveness? It wasn't even possible. I left her for somebody else. So the Rebbe says, well, if you don't get forgiveness from that person, there's nothing I could do. So he says to the Rebbe, how can I go now 10 years later? She's still single. 
Because of what I did, she was never able to find somebody. So the Rebbe says, there's nothing I could do if you don't go to that woman and get forgiveness. He says, but I, how could I go? So the Rebbe says to him like this, use a third person to try to get a hold of her and ask for a meeting and see what she see if she'll accept the meeting. Go together and when you go to this woman, you'll have to ask her for forgiveness. And if you feel it's necessary, you could even relate to her in my name and you could tell her that if she forgives you with a full heart, she will find a shidduch better than you. Now the man has to go say this. He knows she'll never forgive her if he doesn't use this. So eventually he sets up the meeting and they go. He goes with whoever this was, the third person. He goes to the lady and they ask for forgiveness. And he says, the Rebbe promised if you give me, forgive me, you're going to be blessed to find the shidduch and the person will be even better than me. <laughs> that When you have to say that <laughs> face to face after what you did to somebody for 10 years, it, it breaks you and you become a new person. And she forgives him with a full heart. Says this yeshiva boy to this whole shul listening glued to him. He says, and let me tell you that the person who this woman re- finally married, eventually she got married and she had children. And let me tell you firsthand that this man that she married is much better than the first guy because this guy is my father. So that's the story in connection to this story with the Rebbe Rashab. Sometimes a Rebbe has to do that to get a person to become transformed into another. But that's a very rare situation, but sometimes that's the, what has to happen.